Hello and welcome to yet another beautiful Friday on Speaking for Him. I'm Dan Van Zalen and here's your host, Andrew Gomison. Hello, Dan. I'm glad to be with everybody this Friday. Thank you for continuing to listen to the Speaking for Him podcast. Um, you may or may not realize, but we are approaching the 47th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. A quick primer on that is it was a 7-2 decision by the Supreme Court to essentially legalize abortion in all 50 states for basically any reason. Um, there was discussion while they were coming up with it about the age of viability, but it was never really clearly defined. And so different states have different ideas of how um, long you can go uh, before you have to get an abortion or before you're not allowed to get an abortion anymore. Um, and the reality is that some states like Illinois and New York have recently basically doubled down and said, we don't want Roe to fall. We want to make sure that we're ready if Roe falls. And so we're going to make an even um, an even uh, more striking pro-abortion law that basically says until the day of the baby's birth, we want to guarantee ab- abortion or as they like to term it, reproductive choice to <laughs> um, the women in question. And I found an article uh, as I was researching for this show um, that I want to center the podcast on, and it's called The Three Wrongs of Roe. It's three arguments against the Roe versus Wade legislation, and interesting, or not legislation, but court decision. And interestingly enough, none of these have anything to do with the Bible. Um, and I, I definitely believe that we need to use the Bible in our defense of life, but this is just simply human logic. And so as we dig in, I think this will be good for you to be able to go back and talk to your secular pro-life friends, our pro-choice friends about this and have an intelligent debate on these issues and, and let them know. Hey, these are the fundamental problems with Roe versus Wade as a decision. But first, can you give us our quote of the day, Dan? I looked at a fetal development chart at the Operation Rescue Office in Dallas. I had a lot of emotions stirring inside me. That's when I decided that it was wrong in any stage of pregnancy. Norma McCorvey. And Norma McCorvey was um, cited as Jane Roe. She used the pseudonym of Jane Roe. When the, I don't know the name of the law firm, but they basically petitioned the Supreme Court on her behalf for the legalized rights of women. And it may kind of dovetail on what I'm going to share with the main segment. But Dan, you were reading me some interesting facts about that from another uh, source. So why don't you give me some of those again now that we're on the air? Ah, you're talking about the justicability. Um, this is from the opinion of the court on the Wikipedia page. So if you really want to look it up, it's right there. So it's though not often discussed. The court opinion first addresses the issues of standing and mootness under traditional interpretation of these rules. Jane Rose appeal was moot because she had already given birth to her child and thus would not be affected by the ruling as she also lacked standing to assert the rights of other pregnant women. As she did not present an actual case or controversy, in this case it means a grievance or a demand for relief. 
Any opinion issued by the Supreme Court would then constitute an advisory opinion. And uh, the court then concluded that this case came within an established exception to the rule, one that allowed consideration of an issue that was capable of repetition yet evading review. Okay, so in in simple English, basically what it means is she didn't really have a lot of standing to make this decision. She but, basically didn't have a case. But she also reflects later that she was kind of just a pawn. They would have found another Jane Roe if they had to. And interestingly enough, she never had an abortion. She ended up having three total children, I believe, and she never actually had an abortion, even though she was the plaintiff in this case and arguing for the right to do so. Uh, this apparently is when she was pregnant with her third child. Yeah, and part of it, I'm sure, was because of the length of time that the court decision took. But um, it is interesting that that was the case. And I think it dovetails well on the, the, the things I want to show th share with you the three fundamental things. And these are basically from a legal, logical perspective um, that are wrong with the Roe versus Wade court decision. First and most importantly, the outcome of Roe is fundamentally harmful and unjust. Why? Because the facts tell us that a baby is human from the moment of conception. Now, I don't know how much they knew in 1973, okay? So I'm giving a little bit of benefit of the doubt that possibly in 1973 you might have been able to make some sort of justification for early abortion on the basis that you they didn't have an ability to necessarily look into a woman to see her baby. I didn't look up how early ultrasounds came into being. Maybe that could be something that Dan could look up for us and give us a little bit later. But the point is, we know fundamentally, especially now, that biologically, uh, babies are separate human beings. And it's very clear from the earliest moments after conception that this is the case. Um, and uh, this is a, uh, a, highly, a highly specialized text called The Developing Human, Clinically Oriented embryology, and this is a secular text, um, says human development begins at fertilization when a sperm fuses with an octite and forms form a single cell a zygote. And it says this highly specialized totipotent cell marks the beginning of each of us as a unique individual. Do you realize that every part of your DNA Every part of that makes up who you will become is present at that time. And so I think it's important for us to realize that that makes it unjust. Because I've heard people say, I've had friends even say this, that you can't judge a woman's motives for abortion. And I understand one side of that. Obviously, people go through hard times. But a person's hard times and the struggles that they have do not negate the humanity of their child. If you admit that an unborn baby is a child, then the circumstances with which they come to be have no bearing on whether they should have life. Okay, so that that is the first fundamental flaw. And now we're going to get into um, a couple things that have to do with legal precedent. Because people always say, 
to me and in the articles I read that are pro-abortion, they say, well, Roe versus Wade is the law of the land. Do you want to know when the first uh, ultrasound machine was made? Yes. Go ahead and tell me. Okay. So after the French physicist Pierre Curie uh, discovered piezoelectricity, it was made it so that we could actually do things like induce ultrasounds. Thereafter, in 1940, American acoustical, acoustical physicist Floyd Firestone devised the first ultrasonic echo imaging device, a.k.a. an ultrasound, the supersonic reflectoscope to detect eternal flaws of metal casings. In 41, Austrian neurologist used it in collab- or Austrian neurologist Carl Theo Dussek was in collaboration with his bar- bleh, brother Frederick as physicist, er, a physicist and likely the first person to ultrasonically echo image the human body, outlining thereby the ventricles and of the human brain. And it doesn't... Uh, in 49, a, physis, a physicist named John Wilde used, was, became the father of the medical ultrasound when he looked at the thickness of bowel tissue and then it's the... Okay, well, there's probably more in the Wikipedia article, and we can yeah, definitely we can definitely post the Wikipedia article regarding Roe v. Wade um, to the blog post for this podcast. But I think it's safe to assume if the first ultrasound was invented in 1940, that by 1973 it was fairly usable. Now I don't know how widely available it was in medical clinics. It looks but, like it was in the early to mid-60s when the United States started using it. But I think that they had ultrasound technology good enough to know that babies were pretty early on actual separate human beings. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but the second problem is that it is legally and constitutionally mistaken. Justice Harry Blackman's majority opinion claimed that liberty... um Protected by the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment includes a right to privacy that is broad enough to encompass a right to abortion. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the 14th Amendment, I read it yesterday, and it deals with actually primarily the 100, the affirming of personhood of the, of the black or African American person. Because even after they stopped being slaves, people wanted to say, you're only three-fifths of a person. You are only three-fifths of a person. We don't want you to have full rights. And the 14th Amendment said that cannot be. We need to recognize these people as full persons. And actually, there were a slew of – let me see if I can find it here. Uh, it says that the right alleged in Roe is blatantly contradicted by the history of the abortion law in the United States. Ratification of the 14th Amendment roughly coincided with the enactment of a wave of state laws prohibiting abortion from conception with the primary aim, according to clear and abundant historical evidence of protecting unborn children. Many of these statutes were already on the books by the time the 14th Amendment was adopted in 1868, and many of them remain unchanged until Roe struck them down. More than a century later. And Justice William Rehnquist said in his dissenting opinion that you had to find within the scope of the 14th Amendment a right that was apparently completely unknown to the drafters of the amendment. Oh, yeah. And it mentions – you have it mentioned earlier too that um, 
As the constitutional uh, argument, as noted by University of Pennsylvania's law professor Kermit Roosevelt, who does favor legal abortion, Roe is barely coherent. The court pulled its fundamental right to choose more or less from the constitutional ether. So ether, I believe, is the word. But um, basically what it's saying is even if you're pro-abortion, the right of Roe to decide this crucial issue is fundamentally flawed. And the the fact of the matter is that the 14th Amendment was used um, to solidify the right to life before Roe. Yeah. It basically reinforced the pro-life laws that were in place. And then all of a sudden when Roe versus Wade came down, it was like, oh, no, it's the, it, the 14th Amendment is the reason to have abortions. And then we have the situation where, number one, it was never discussed in the legislature. No. You know, it didn't go through a legislative process where the House and the Senate voted on it and then the president It's undemocratic. It. Um, and I don't think it ever would have passed that way, even in some of our more liberal uh, houses and senates that we've had. Um, well, maybe this one. Well, you know, there might have been sometimes. But it never was put put to that kind of vote. And then also don't forget the fact that many states already had strong pro-life laws in place. Michigan, as a matter of fact, in November of 72, voted to ban almost any kind of abortion. And then in January of 73, it was all wiped away with a Supreme Court decision. So that just shows you a little bit of how it is um, unconstitutional, and I kind of put the, the third one in there. So the third one was it's unde- undemocratic for the reasons that I just talked about. So these three problems, that it's hurtful and unjust, harmful and unjust fundamentally, that it is constitutionally mistaken, and that it is undemocratic. All these things are reason reasons why Roe versus Wade is needs to end. It needs to fall. And this is something that a lot of people don't understand. I think if if more people understood it, they would be more in favor of it, even if they are pro-choice. Because the reality is that New York as a state had abortion legal three years before Roe versus Wade was even a thing. Yep. All Roe fall, falling would mean is that a state could decide on its own whether it wanted to have it it as a legal procedure or what kind of limitations it wanted to have on it. Well, then there's also the fact that, it, which you mentioned before, is that the Roe versus Wade, since it didn't go through the elected government, is technically illegal. Um, exactly, and uh, you, yeah, I just I, the the Supreme Court is not a place to make law; it's a place to decide whether an existing law is unconstitutional and that needs to be done law by law. And you can't just say it's unconstitutional because I don't like it either. Nope. So, well, that's where the whole, uh, separation of, uh, the current understanding of separation of church and state came from too. That's because one guy didn't like it. Yeah. And the, so there's a lot of other issues we could get into along those similar lines we won't do that because this is a focus on the fact that abortion uh, is wrong 
and it needs to end in our country. Um, and the first, one of the big first steps would be to see Roe versus Wade fall by the wayside because it is bad precedent. Um, yep. and the other thing is I, I'll just, I want to leave with this. The fact of the matter is I never understood how liberal, um, candidates can claim that they care about families and care about children when they, when they want us to have the ability to kill our unborn. I don't know why you would want to hamper your future, the future people that have the pot would have the power to elect you and people like you by killing them before they have a chance at life. But that's the logic of some of the people that with whom we have to deal. And I just want to say in finality, the fact of the matter is that there are many people waiting to adopt the final thing that blows my mind is the number of fertility clinics that we have in the U.S., and yet we still abort babies by the thousands every day. That doesn't make sense to me, and it shouldn't make sense to you either, especially if you are a Christ follower. This is Andrew Gomison saying have a great weekend and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.